Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year to everybody who haven't been wished that 50 times already. I'm glad that you're with us today and I want to welcome you to our worship time. So good to see everybody out um, and uh, enjoying life. And I hope that you had an awesome, uh, incredible holiday time, Christmas and New Year's and such. And um, man, I tell you, everything is coming together with our, our uh, Advent series, our released, our uh, uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace and our sermon series. We're going to talk a little bit about finances in it. I'm excited about this series. I'll tell you why here in just a few moments. But before I get started, I have a public service announcement for you. One day you're going to die. I hope you knew that already. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to happen one of these days, to be honest with you. Probably not what you wanted to hear as you started a brand new year, but, you know, you need to know that up front, I guess. We all should be aware of that. But I, I've noticed is over the last couple of years, it seemed like we've almost become a little bit numb to death, uh, and we're not surprised anymore. Like, we've become numb to school shootings and, and uh, store shootings and things like that. We've all heard of people who seem to be extremely healthy, um, that contract an illness and then they uh, pass away unexpectedly, which is horrible, right? And we've all heard of people who die in a senseless tragedy, an act of nature. But the reality is that one day you and I are going to die, and we should not really be surprised by that. We ought to expect it and understand it. You know, I've seen a lot of life. I've seen how people live life. I've just kind of observed people in my 61 years, it's hard to believe, but I've seen that. I've seen a lot of death, and I've seen how people have died and how people handle that. And you know, for some time, there has been this thought in my mind that I've been trying to put into words. I've had this concept that I've tried to think about. I mean, it's been probably a year or so that I've been toying with this idea that addresses both life and death. And I'm not the most, uh, I'm not the best with words, but here's kind of how I put it together for this series. What if we could live our lives in such a way that when we die, and we're going to die, we and everyone around us could say that we have no regrets? Let me just repeat that. I hope it makes sense. What if we could live our lives in such a way that when we die, we and everyone around us could say that we have no regrets? You know, living a life without regrets doesn't mean that you never fail because we're all going to fail. If you attempt something, you will fail, definitely. But what it means is that you live life to the fullest, that you learn from the mistakes that you make, you make repair and correction along the way as long as you are living. You're going to make mistakes, things are going to happen, but what do you do with those mistakes? I think regrets arise whenever we live less than what we are capable of living, and so many of us do, so much less than we're capable of, and we regret that. We feel bad about that, but sometimes we don't change it. The secret to living without regrets, I believe, is to act intentionally with what is important to you. If we all were more intentional about things, we would have less regrets. You know, when I talk about living a life without regrets, I'm not talking about your bucket list. You know, I hear about those. I don't really have a bucket list, I don't think. Uh, as such, but some people do, and that's great. You know, if you can afford it and it's not immoral or illegal, I say go and do it, right? But I'm not talking about bucket lists. I'm talking more about the things that really matter in life, specifically about relationships. 
I'm talking about relationships with other people and relationships with God. Because in the end, those are the only things that really will matter. They really are. When it drills down to it, the only things that really matter. We all have little things that happen all the time, but, but people and God are the most important things in life. And one day when we die, we will stand before the God, the creator, the one who made us, the one who sustained us, the one who blessed us, and we will give an explanation of our lives. Specifically, I believe, answering what do we do with our knowledge of Jesus? Because everything kind of springs from that. How we look at Jesus, who Jesus is, what he means to us. We're going to answer about our knowledge of Jesus. But we're also going to be answering for how we lived our lives in relationship with people. How did we respond to people who were around us? Questions are going to be big. Questions like this. Did you make a commitment to Jesus and were you faithful until death? Not did you decide one day as a child or at some point of crisis in your life that that you wanted to, you know, foxhole type of salvation. You need help. But did you sustain that? Did you live that until you died? And beyond that, did you share your knowledge of Jesus with other people? Were there people in your life that you never spoke to about Jesus who died without knowing him? Did you help people who were in need or did you only live for yourself? You were blessed, maybe a lot, maybe a little, but in the process, did you help people who were in need or only take care of your own self? Husbands and wives, how did you love your spouse? How did you respond to them? Parents, how did you lead your child? Did you lead your child to Jesus? I want to tell you, those are questions that disturb me, that keep me up. And I believe one day we'll answer each of these questions to God. Because these are the things that really matter. What you will celebrate doing or you will regret not doing, I believe. Everything else is superficial. You and I will not be asked how successful we were here on this earth or how much money we made or how much money we saved or what you left behind. Your legacy will be the life that you have lived and how you represented Jesus and influenced other people. That's all I believe that's going to matter. So I want you to imagine for a moment just this. Imagine for a minute that you are going to die in a week. You're going to die in a week. What would you regret the most not doing or not saying or not dealing with in your life? What would you spend that week doing? Now, I also want you to take a moment because we're going to be optimistic and imagine that you're going to die in five years. Now you got five years. What are you going to start doing differently? What are you going to change in your life if you knew you were going to die in five years? Well, obviously, we have no idea, and we don't want to know when we're going to die. None of us need to know that. But the reality is it could be either of those or even less. Now, as we get older, hopefully, we get a little wiser, and we start thinking about these things more, and we become more discerning about what's important in life. All of us look back over our life, you know, long or short, and we have things that we have done wrong. We've made mistakes. We have missed opportunities. We've done things that we would do much differently if we could go back and redo them. And some of those things we can redo, but others of those things we can't change, right? It's natural to have regret about those things because some of those things might be big, not only money decisions, but job decisions, spouse and relationship decisions. But here's the thing, 
Sometimes our wisdom is a little skewed, and sometimes we regret the things we shouldn't regret, and we don't regret what we should. So let me just say this, that it's never too late to change as long as we have breath in our life. As long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we're alive, we can deal with those things. So here today, 2022, is a fresh slate that lies before us. And don't say you can't change. Every one of us can change if we decide to change. I always believe that we only change when the pressure to stay the same is less than the pressure to change. So you can change and you can decide that yourself. Never too late. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. And also, you can't change the past, but you can ruin the present by worrying about the past or worrying about the future. But what God does is calls us to live every day of life that we are given to make the most of life for His glory. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I could define in Scripture what I'm talking about, that might be what I mean by no regret living. Being careful how we live, being wise, making the most of every opportunity, every day, every moment, living a life of gratitude, but doing everything and living everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great goal, isn't it? It's a noble thing to think about. And you may look back over your life and you may say, you know, I have made a mess of my life. You know, maybe you have a past history of shattered relationships or shattered decisions or finances or whatever it may be. And you made a mess of your life and you may feel like there's been so much water that's gone over the dam that you can't recover. But I want you to know, I want you to know that you can start today to move forward. You can start over and move forward. And we're going to talk about how we can do that and live a life, I believe, in the present of no regrets, but greater than that, look back on your life at some point when you do die and say, I have no regrets no regrets. That's my goal. That's how I want to live. And that's what I want to talk about here for a a couple of weeks. So in order to do that, there are three basic biblical components of learning to live a life without regrets. And the first one is this, is we need to deal with our past. We need to deal with our past. And by that, I don't mean going back and going into, you know, year-long therapy, unless you have to do that. But I don't think you got to linger on those things because we can move beyond those. All right. If you need therapy, I'm not saying don't get it, all right? But I'm, not, I'm just saying you, get a, you need to move forward sometime. You know, many people live their life looking in the rearview mirror, and you can't move forward that way. You can't go forward looking in the rearview mirror. You've got to, to get your eyes off the past. Alexander Graham Bell said, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one that is open for us. How many closed doors are you still looking back? How many regrets do you have that you can't change anyway, but that's the way you're living your life? The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians 3, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I am forgetting the past because I can't change it. The old me, maybe it is an old you and you need to put that behind you. But you look forward and you press to the goal now 
Because you have a model, Jesus, you have a goal, you have an end in mind, heaven, and that's what you need to be living for. That's where your eyes need to be focused. Now, what are some ways that we need to deal with the past? Let me tell you one big way, and that is forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness is probably the biggest issue that many of us have in our life dealing with relationships. And since much of our regrets center on mistakes that we've made, forgiveness is where that we need to start, I believe. All of our human relationships basically spring from our relationship with God. So we have to begin with seeking forgiveness from God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You need to know that there is no mistake that you can make, that you have made or that you uh, will make, no mistake that God cannot forgive. As long as you seek him and come to God, your past can be forgiven. But only, only that can be done if you're in a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. So resolving our past begins with giving our life to Christ, acknowledging that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, asking him to be our Lord and Savior, confessing that we are sinners in need of his forgiveness, repenting from our past. That means not only acknowledging it, but turning from it and committing to live differently going forward and then being baptized for our sins to be removed and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a blessing and empowers us, but also gives us his presence and wisdom going forward. Now, if you've been obedient in these things, and if you have begun a relationship with Jesus, you need to maintain that. Like I said earlier, maintain that. And then you will have the freedom to ask forgiveness of your sins. Once you're in a relationship with God, we know that we're still going to sin. We're human. But now we have an advocate with the Father who's on our behalf going to him and, and seeking forgiveness for us. So we can never ever remove our regrets without putting Jesus first. But then once we do that, then we have to learn to forgive others. We have to learn to forgive others. In some cases, those who have hurt us have not apologized, nor have they acknowledged that they hurt us, nor have they ever sought forgiveness. But we are required to forgive them anyway. We're required to forgive them. Our forgiveness can actually prevent us, or excuse me, our unforgiveness can actually prevent us from being forgiven by God and moving forward. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. We oftentimes think about forgiveness as being a gift that we're going to give other people. I will forgive you. And we feel very gracious doing that sometimes. But in reality, forgiveness is a gift that we give ourselves as well as an act of obedience. And by the way, you need to also extend forgiveness to yourself as well. Because many of our regrets, I believe, come from our mistakes that we have not forgiven ourselves for, nor have we accepted God's forgiveness for us. A few weeks ago, we talked about this a little bit, and we said that sometimes you feel extremely humble and everything when you say, oh, I could never be forgiven. But what you're actually saying is that, Jesus, you're not enough to forgive me. And so we need to be humble enough to acknowledge that we are sinners and seek his forgiveness and accept his forgiveness and forgive ourselves. If God has forgiven you, you are forgiven. And what Jesus said is, go and sin no more. 
Don't linger on what you have done in the past. Not only do we need to offer forgiveness, we also need to seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. This kind of goes along with the idea that if you're not willing to forgive and be forgiven and seek healing in that relationship, that you're going to have a hard time with God. Because he said, go figure it out, work it out, forgive, be reconciled, then come back and worship him. So if there are broken relationships in your past, you cannot live without regrets until you address them and you ask for forgiveness. You know, a few years ago about this time, Christmas time, I remember it well, I was doing a series about forgiveness because I think forgiveness is a gift that we give. And I was preaching this series and I began to think of all the people I could remember whom I had hurt and been hurt by in ministry. I I had been in ministry probably... 30 years at that point, I don't know. So I began to think about the people, and it wasn't a lot of fun to think about because I had some people that I'd hurt. And so I sat down and I wrote cards to each one of them asking and offering forgiveness. In some cases, I had to ask and offer forgiveness in the same letter. It was more than just a a card, a couple sentences. It it was kind of a letter to them. And And I wrote and I asked and offered forgiveness. A few of them responded. Most of them didn't. I don't know why. But you know what? That effort actually helped me lay aside some regrets that I had. It helped me deal with that. It it was very therapeutic for me to deal with some of those things. And it was even more rewarding when some of those people responded back. That's a blessing. A few months ago, I received a phone call from a past staff member whose time here had ended kind of poorly, real bad. And... um, he had, uh, he had matured through the years, and he called, and he asked to meet with me. And right now, the blue it kind of surprised me. I was a little bit anxious, to be honest with you, but the tone of his phone call, um, obviously, was that he needed to talk. And so, he drove a couple of hours. I drove uh, an hour or so, met him, and we had lunch together, and he apologized for his mistakes, and he thanked me for how I'd handled it. And I mean, I graciously accepted his apology, but I got to be honest, I offered my own apology for any failure on my part, you know, because I know that I didn't handle him that well either. And that was such a healing time. It was a great meeting, and we both left with a burden lifted. And I, 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 I value that. You know, I appreciate and respect that greatly from him. So to live without regrets, we need to deal with those things. That's, I believe, an act of Christian maturing when we can acknowledge them and deal with them, deal with our past, offering forgiveness all the way around, and then doing our best to forget it and move forward. The goal should be to restore all relationships that have been broken. But I'm going to tell you, restoration can only come when there is true repentance and a willingness to restore on the part of both. If you're struggling because someone won't acknowledge that they hurt you, and that you want restoration, but they're not willing to do that, restoration is not going to happen. Restoration can only happen when there is repentance and a willingness to restore on the part of both. Either way, though, forgiveness can be offered and extended. You get it off of yourself. You forgive them, and you put it in the past. The second component, I believe, to a no-regret living is living in the present, really living in the present. 
Again, I think this all flows from our relationship with God. God is the one who empowers us to live a regret-free life. He is the one that gives us that hope and that vision for it. Now, that doesn't mean that we merely believe in Jesus and we believe in God. Because I tell you what, there, is a lot of, there are a lot of messed up and, and misunderstanding people in our world today. A lot of people believe that just, or think that just believing, just mentally acknowledging that there is a God and that Jesus was a person, they believe that is enough. But that is not true, guys. The Bible says, James 2, you believe there's a God, one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons know there's a God. They've already had dealings with them. They've already been judged and condemned for eternity. They believe, they know there's a God, but they don't believe in God. They're not going to be saved. Because they, like a lot of other people, do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so when people, when 85% of people in the country believe there's a God, that ain't, that's not going to mean that all of them are going to heaven. Believing it is different than being in Christ and having a relationship with him. It takes a lot more than just believing to be saved. And our world doesn't understand that. We've been deceived. But we're called to be at peace with God in relationship with him. And then once we're living at peace with God through Jesus, then we're called to live a life of peace with others. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this verse of scripture. One thing about it, though, it's a really broad statement. But basically, I think it means that we love and we treat people like Jesus would. And we meet their needs if possible. We live a kind and generous giving life, showing grace and forgiveness. And that's how I want to live my life. I want to live in harmony with God and harmony with man. I want to keep the air clear with people, other people. I want to be able to meet them in the store or on the street and look them squarely in the eye without shame or guilt. Now, I want to say that, and at the same time, I know that there are a lot of people that do not agree with that. And I know that there are people who really don't care what other people think about them, and they don't even care what God thinks about them or about our relationships. I understand that. I think that's a dangerous place to be. But let me just tell you, this is where I am. I am a middle child. I'm the middle child in our family. And you know what middle kids are, right? We're known to be peacemakers. I don't know if that's true across the board everywhere, but that's my personality and pleasers. So maybe that's why uh, it seems important to me. I'm the guy that wants to please I want to make you happy. I don't want you to be upset with me. When I have to deal with things, difficult things, it's hard for me. But I really want to be honest with people, and I want to deal with broken relationships, and I want to make sure they're repaired if possible. I don't want to leave hostility in the air. I don't want to leave somebody with things bad, you know, because we are, I always think, what if this was my last conversation, and it ended up like this? That's important to me. I hope it's important to you. I hope you will think and pray about it if it is not. But I want to live my life in a way that honors God and honors people. I want to say the things that need to be said. I want to bite my tongue when I shouldn't say anything. I want to be known as fair as as a friend to other people. I know I can't please everyone. I've already tried that a long time. But as much as possible, as far as it depends on me, I want to live in peace. I want to live a life of passion and purpose. I want to live a life pursuing the things that honor and please God. 
I want to live a life of gratitude. I want to live a life with a sense of abundance, not scarcity. I don't want to be afraid all the time about money or things. And I've lived that. I don't want to do that. I want to live a life of abundance and trusting God. I want to use what I've been given and blessed with to help other people, to bring glory to God, and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to make a difference in the world. And when I die, I don't want accolades, but I really want people, I want to have impacted somebody's life. I want to leave a legacy behind. I want to put a smile on people's face for people to look forward to seeing me, not dread seeing me. I want to be there for my wife and my children. I want to be available and present. I want to be available and responsive to the Holy Spirit's quiet voice when I'm led to go and do something. I want to avoid creating new regrets. I want to stay current in my relationship with both God and man. I want to seize the day. I want to make every hour, every minute count. I don't want to burn out, but I don't want to rust out either. I want to go until I run out and wear out. That's what I want to do. And when I do, I want to be able to look into the eyes of the ones that I love and know that I have done everything that I could have done and everything that needs to be said, I've said. I want to have no regrets. I know that all that is ideal. And I know I'm going to fall short, but that's my goal. That is my goal in life. And that leads me to the final component of regret-free living, and that is leaning into the future. You know, one of the ways to live a life with no regret, I believe, is to begin with the end in mind. I want to encourage you to imagine the end of your life. That's the end in mind, right? Imagine the end. How do you want to be remembered by those who love you the most? What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want your obituary to read? Remember, here's the great news. You're still writing your obituary. It hasn't been completed yet. Somebody said that you will have succeeded in life if those who know you best love and respect you the most. That's success. Now, nobody ever knows what the future is going to hold for us. None of us know what we're going to face, right? None of us know. We get cursed on all the time. But we do know who holds the future. We know the plan and the place that God has prepared for us. And our life here, guys, is just a dress rehearsal for heaven. And we should be living here like we expect to be living there. Can you say that? Are you living your life here like you plan to live your life in heaven? And if you are not, what changes do you need to make? Are you seeking the things that God wants for your life? Are you truly asking God, what do you want for my life? Don't be like the businessman who said, I spent my entire life climbing the ladder of success only to get to the top and discover that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. I got what I wanted, but it's not what I was, was, was really hoping for. Do you live a life with no regrets? In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. He was heir to the Borden Dairy estate. Now, it may not be that big now, but in that day, it was huge in that business world. And he was already a millionaire as a high school graduate. His mother was a Christian, and she had raised him to know the Lord, and he gave his life to the Lord as a teen. But for his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. Nice gift, right? And so this young man who had been raised in wealth and uh, in a perfect 
seeming family and perfect future, he began to travel around the world and he went to Asia, Middle East, Europe. And as he did so, he realized that not everybody lived like he did. He saw poverty, he saw brokenness, he saw people who didn't know anything about Jesus or God, and he felt a burden for the lost people. During that trip, Borden wrote home to say, I have decided to give my life for the mission field. That shocked his parents, you can imagine. But that was his goal. And at that time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserve, no reserve. Well, many people thought this was just a young you know, kid out of high school, a lot of enthusiasm for that, but it would pass on, but it didn't. And he went and began his college career and studies at Yale University. But he had a desire to live openly for Jesus in this secular place, and so he became a leader for Christ on that campus. During this time at Yale, William Borden started a small prayer group that would eventually transform the entire university. By the time he was a senior, 1,000 of their 1,300 students were meeting in weekly Bible studies and prayer groups. But his goal never wavered on going around the world and sharing the gospel with those who were lost. When he graduated from Yale, his father offered him a position in the Borden Company. He turned it down. His father told him he would never offer him another position again. And that was fine with William. At this time, Borden wrote in his Bible a second phrase, no retreat. No retreat. He turned down every lucrative position that was offered to him. He enrolled in seminary. After completing his seminary studies, he immediately went to Egypt to learn Arabic to prepare for a lifelong ministry with the Muslims of China. Tough field, but he would never make it to China. While he was in Egypt learning the Arabic language, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, William Borden died at the age of 25. Newspapers herald the loss and the news of Yale's most famous graduate, the heir of the Borden inheritance estate, they herald that. Many people speculated on the value of his sacrifice, concluded that it was such a waste because he had such promise as a businessman. If he had just stayed here, he could have made more and more money, but instead he died in a foreign country in agony for a useless cause. Christian sources said, no, it was a waste because he could have been such a force for missions. He had financial resources and he could have done so much, it was a senseless death. Imagine what he could have done if he had really been able to go to China and started a mission to the Muslims. When William's parents were given his Bible, they found the words he had written, no reserve, no retreat. And another phrase that he had written, because while he was in Egypt, right before death, he wrote one other phrase, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. I found that to be an inspiring story. But let me ask you, what are the regrets that you have for life? But more importantly, what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do about those regrets? And I'll leave you with the question I began with. What if we could live our lives in such a way that when we die, we and everyone around us could say that we have no regrets? Again, it's never too late to deal with those things in our life that need to be dealt with. And I'd love to share with you, pray with you about those, talk about, maybe have a longer conversation at some point. If you know that you need to deal with your past and talk about your future, your eternity, I'd love to do that with you.